You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. So guys, we are jumping in to a series in Malachi today. Yay! Okay, good, good. Man, I thought... Uh, we So what we got here is we have the last prophetic book in our Old Testament. It is believed to be the last writing before Jesus appears. Uh, and it just felt in my heart like right coming into the Christmas season. Let's hang out in God's words spoken to his people that preceded the coming of Jesus. And so that's what we're doing. We're here in Malachi. Malachi is believed to be dated around 450 BC. And in this time period, the people of Israel, just to like get us into context here, the people of Israel have returned to Israel, to Jerusalem from exile. They had been taken captive into Babylon and now they're back. And what's happened, if you're familiar with the story of the people of Israel, is that they have rebuilt the temple They've rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. So those are in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. This has happened. And, and there's this restored uh, practice of worship happening in the temple. And that's where we're at in the story. And as we jump into this scripture, what I want you to catch and I want you to recognize is that the style of it is this responsive format. Throughout the scripture, there is God saying something and then the people responding and then God responding to the response. And there's this, this back and forth dialogue going on. And I want, as, as John reads, and John, you can come up. John Wason's going to read to us this morning. Uh, John's going to read to us right from verse 1 of the first chapter all the way to 2 verse 9. And we're going we're gonna to take in the book of Malachi in three weeks and so he's reading this chunk to us, but I want, as John shares, I want you to listen for who's speaking in this back and forth responsive style of the text. And like Stacy spoke to us last week, the words of Jesus, you know, you who have ears to hear, hear. My real encouragement I want to just give to us today as John reads the word to us is that we would be listening, listening for how God wants to speak to us here today. Can we do that together? All right, John, take it away. Thank you, Caleb. Good morning. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Malachi, and I know we actually have a couple of Malachi's in our, uh, in our family here. <laughs> uh, do you know what Malachi means? Yes. Yes. My messenger. So this is a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through my messenger. And we were singing the song, uh, you know, as we were singing uh, Worthy of It All, that is what Malachi would like to have written, you know, as the Lord said, and then the, uh, the, the, the people would have responded that you are worthy of it all. But in fact, uh, Malachi is writing this, this prophecy this conversation because the people's response was not you are worthy of it all. Their response is quite different. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, 
says the Lord. But you ask, how, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned to his and I have turned his hill hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says They may rebuild, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and his slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, have we shown contempt to your name? How? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hearts? Says the Lord, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor, honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. 
because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him. A covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. From the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek him instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. That's Malachi 1 and chapter 2 through verse 9. Thank you, John. So you may notice it's full of indictments and confrontation. And as we sit here in the 21st century listening to words like these, it's a little bit like, oh, I'm not used to hearing people talk to me like this. Would anybody agree? You know, I'm going to smear the dung on your face. And it's, it's, it's like there's some hard stuff in here. But what I want us to realize is, is throughout this Throughout this book, you're going to hear it as we read on in the weeks to come. There is this format of God saying, I say to you, but you say, right? And there's this, this back and forth. There's this sense that God is saying something to be true, to be the case, but the people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. And you remember Stacy's word to us last week was about aligning to what God is saying. That's very much what's happening here in this book is God is posing to them a truth, a statement, an indictment, a confrontation that they need to hear. And then saying, come back to this. Align to my word. Align to my ways. See, when God says something and we say different, guess who's wrong? It reminds me of this illustration that Bill Johnson used to always say to us, and he'd talk about an old man sitting there with a cat in his lap, and he's petting the cat, but there's something wrong in the picture, and that's that somebody comes up to the old man and says, hey, you're petting the cat backwards. And the old man says, well, then have the cat turn around. And, and, and there's this sense, it's a funny illustration, but there's this sense in which God's the old man and he's going to keep petting the direction he wants to pet. It's up to us whether we're going to turn around and actually enjoy the, this experience, you know. And, and there is this alignment to God's word that he's calling to the people with in this book throughout again and again and again. And sometimes I think we need to be indicted and confronted. 
I think we can get a little too soft once in a while, okay? Just think that's the case. And we actually can receive it. You see, because we gravitate to what we want to hear often rather than what we need to hear. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for prophets who are willing to say hard stuff to us sometimes. You know, I'm reminded of something I heard this last year just to give as an example, but um, a guy who really has a passion for prayer by the name of Corey Russell, I was listening to a podcast and he said, if you're bored in prayer, it's because you're bored with God. And I just got hit. I'm like, oh, ouch, you know, but I need to hear that. And in the same way, these things that, that, that Malachi is speaking into, these indictments, they needed to hear them. And I think that in them, there's things that we can hear and we can learn from. And so what were the main indictments that God had towards his people that we heard in what John read to us? I'll summarize it this way. Compromised worship and compromised teaching. So, so you've got this worship going on where they're not bringing their best, right? And, and then the, the other piece about these uh, priests, you know, showing partiality, we'll get into that later. But I just first want to ask the question, why was God so bothered by this compromised worship and compromised teaching? Well, one of the things, you may have heard it, you may have missed it, but if you go back and look four times in the first chapter, there is this statement from God and, and variations of it that is essentially like, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be feared, will be honored, will be revered. There was this sense that God had that it was his plan that he would be known as great and good and wonderful in the nations. And what is implied in this is that he would be made known as great through his people. That theme is throughout the scriptures. That God's intention for us as his people is that his name would be made great through us as a community. And the problem is, is that compromised worship and compromised teaching minimizes that greatness. It dilutes us as God's people. It causes us to be impotent and ineffective in this mission for God's name to be made great through us. See, because God's mission, it's in the Lord's prayer. And you're probably familiar with it, but God's mission for his people and God's mission for his church is on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's goal, is to actually bring the culture of heaven to earth through a people called his church. In other words, God is not trying to make us more like the world to be culturally relevant. God is trying to make us more like heaven to be culturally restoring and redemptive. Are you with me? And so, you see, our destiny as God's people is to display his goodness, to make his name great among the nations, to make his name great in the city of Victoria. He wants to shine through us, his people. We love to say it around here, Life Tree's a family, all about what? Declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. Okay? God is passionate about this happening through his people. 
But these compromises that were going on were messing with the plan. And so I want us to look today at what was read to us about how were they not in alignment? How were they compromised? And there's three things that I want us to see and catch today. And the first thing that I would point out to us is really simple but profound. And it is the very first statement attributed to God at the beginning of the book. Does anybody remember it? Or maybe you have the text open in front of you. But God says to his people, I have loved you. I have loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? And, and you see, what, what I think is so profound about this, yet simple, is that doubting God's love was at the root of all the compromise that's listed to follow. The very first thing that God speaks into and touches on is that I say that I love you, but you doubt it. You question it. See, because when we doubt God's love for us, we doubt whether his commands are good. We doubt whether his ways and his law and what he has spoken to us and given to us is actually for our good. But when we believe he loves us, we trust that he has good intentions for us. We trust that what he's spoken and his instruction and his law and his ways are actually for our good. They're for our benefit. Can I get an amen? I was reminded as I was thinking about this this week of just being a parent, right? As a parent, you have good intentions for your children, and sometimes they're having a hard time believing that. And I was reminded, I had this flashback of this, this video that's in my Google Photos account uh, that just comes up whenever I'm going there cleaning it up. I find this video, and I'm like, oh, I have to keep this. Uh, and, and what it is is a few years ago, uh, Noah had a wart on his foot, or maybe it was on his knee, I don't know, that Telsey had to take that, one of those things that frees it, to, you know, get rid of it. And this video is just Noah like, ah! It's the most, like, blood-curdling, crazy scream I think I've ever heard from him in my life. And being the good father I am, I was like, I need to record this. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I heard it, I was, like, I was like, you know, someday I have to show this to him. But, but what struck me as I was reminded of this video was that despite the excruciating pain that he was feeling, he stayed there because he trusted us. Because he trusted that we love him and that we have good intentions for him. See, we love and we listen to and we obey God when we're convinced that he loves us. And it's interesting to me, then, the second thing that God brings up after this doubted love is the compromised worship. It's no surprise that the first issue in their behavior that God wants to speak into is how they're worshiping him. Because next to knowing that you're loved by God, I believe the most important thing about our lives is what we worship. And what we worship is, is displayed in how we worship. 
if we worship God half-heartedly at a low level with compromise, chances are we haven't clearly seen him. We haven't understood really who he is and what he's like. And that's what's going on in this is there's these low-level, second-rate offerings being brought to God, and he's not pleased with it. Cursed is the cheat, it says, who has a perfectly healthy male lamb at home, vows to bring it to God, but actually brings a blind and a lame and a sick one to the altar. It's reminiscent of the story, if you're familiar with Ananias and Sapphira, saying they're bringing their all in their offering, right? But really, in reality, they're keeping a portion back for themselves. And what does God say? He says, oh, that you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. It's amazing to me that, that he can say, I love you. I'm not pleased with you. They can happen together. Again, I think of being a parent, right? I love my kids. But if they're not being honest with me, I'm not pleased. I still love them, but I'm not pleased. God is looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. We sang, right, you're worthy of my song. We say, you're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my all. He's looking for hearts fully committed to him. And he deserves nothing less. I mean, listen, listen to what he says, right? You heard it from John. Try offering these lame, sick sheep to your governor and see if he likes it. Am I not worthy of more? I remember being asked this question when I was in ministry school. You know, what if you had a, uh, somebody who was like royalty invited to your house for dinner? How would you prepare? How would you prepare your house? And yet we have the invitation to us every day, every moment of our lives, fellowship with the king of the universe, with the Lord of lords, with the risen king, And so when you've got this, this royal guest coming over, do you pull out whatever leftovers you can find from the fridge or do you get the top sirloin or the Wagyu beef or whatever your thing is out, right? Like, like what are you going to prepare? What are you going to set on the table when the royal dignitary is coming over? So what is God getting from our lives? Is he getting the leftovers or is he getting our best? Do we give from the top, so to speak, of our time, of our money, of our energy, or do we wait to see what's left over? Are we giving him our best? Thirdly, it was this compromised teaching that he wasn't pleased with. And the, and the real 
clear point in it is right in that last verse that John read to us. He says, you have not followed. He's speaking to the priests, the ones who were responsible to be teaching the law to God's people. And he says, you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. His compromised teaching was marked by what? Partiality. What does that mean? It's about where we pick and choose which parts we like and we want to focus on. And we avoid and we ignore the parts we don't like, the parts we find difficult, the parts we find challenging, the parts we find offensive. And yet God stands as the truth of the universe, as the one whose word is always correct, is always true, and the best thing we can ever do with our lives is align to it. Rather than pick and choose and avoid and ignore and the really, the, the, the thing for us to recognize and for us to catch in this passage is that partiality in matters of the law, partiality in matters of the scripture, it doesn't just produce ignorance in people, it actually leads people astray. It's dangerous, it's destructive. Because it develops blind spots in our lives. And if you're driving down the highway and you can't see in your blind spot, you can't look, how many know that could be fatal? Let's just reread the last, some of these last few verses. I'm going to read 2, verse 6 to 8. Now he's speaking about Levi, right? The, 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 this, this, this people, this tribe of Israel that was called to hold this role of the priest. He's talking about his covenant with Levi, and he says this, starting in verse 6, True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. Through their compromised teaching, they were causing many to stumble. He's saying your role is to actually turn them away from sin, turn them away from destruction, turn them away from the way that leads to death. But instead, through your partiality, through your picking and your choosing, he caused many to stumble. Blind spots on the highway. And you see, it was, it was ultimately coming back to that first thing. It was a doubt in God's love that was at the root of their partiality towards the scriptures, towards the law. Because, you see, if they actually believed that God loved them, that he had good intentions for them, we already touched on it, right? They would believe that this law, that its commands, what it called them to was actually what was best for them, even if they didn't understand it. And instead, when they're talking about the sacrifice, I don't know if you caught that part in the first chapter, but it's like they look at what's required of them in the sacrifice and it says it's a burden. It's too much. I can't afford to do this. Following you is going to cost me too much. 
But isn't it interesting? You look back in verse 5 of chapter 2, and it says, My covenant with Levi, it was a covenant of life and peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which, which if you've heard this spoken of before, you recognize shalom isn't just like peace, like the waters calm. It's all is well. All is as it should be. Every area of life is prospering and flourishing as it was intended to be. That's the kind of peace that this is talking about. This is a covenant of life and peace. That's what his ways are to lead us into. But when we, we don't actually believe that his goodness is at the root of his commands, we don't believe that he really loves us, we go, eh, I don't know about that one. That, that sounds all right. I can get, I can get you know, on board with that, but nah, 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 not that. We can think it's too burdensome, but what does Jesus say to all who are weary and heavy laden? He says, what? Come to me, for I will give you rest. Take on you my yoke and my burden. It's easy. It's light. It might look on the front end, on the way in. It might look heavy. It might look burdensome. It might look totally different than the life you've been used to living. But when you come in and you put it on and you begin to feel how it works and recognize how my ways operate in your life, you're going to go, oh, my God. This is what I was meant to feel like. This is what life's supposed to be like. This is how it's supposed to work. But they doubted his love. And when they ask him and they say at the beginning again, like, like really? Do you really love us? It's interesting. It's really, really, really strange to us, especially if we don't understand the context. But his response to prove that he loves them is he talks all about the destruction happening to the people of Edom, who are this people that, that, that he had rejected long ago. And what he's getting at is he's getting at, see, you guys have been in exile. They were, they were taken captive. They were defeated by the same armies as you. They've tried to rebuild, and it hasn't worked out for them. But here you are in Jerusalem. Your walls are rebuilt. Your temple's rebuilt. There's a restoration that has happened. I saved you from slavery. I saved you from the exile. My faithfulness to you from generation, from generation to generation, despite your sin, despite your shortcomings, is evidence of my faithful, unfailing love toward you. So they had this experience that they could look back on their history to know he loves us. But we have a far better resource than they ever had to know he loves us. Jesus made this statement in John 15, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. He says this the night before he gives his life on the cross. And I think Charlotte said it this morning. It's like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have in the cross, we have in Jesus, a greater example than will ever be given anywhere else of the faithful, unfailing love of God towards us, his people. No greater love. There's no greater God. There's no greater goodness to worship, to adore, 
to, to, to s- surrender our lives to. I find it so interesting that when we go into this, this book, this prophetic book, like you look at a lot of the other prophetic texts in Scripture, and God calls them out often on their idolatry. They're worshiping other gods. This doesn't have any of that in there. It's just saying your worship is low level. It's compromised. And, and, and there is a sense in which if the worship, I said this already in some ways, if the worship's low level, chances are we actually have a vision of a false god in our mind. See, because the only true worship of the true God is wholehearted. It's everything we have. And there's actually this, this sense in which you'll never actually really experience life as it was intended to be, the goodness of his ways, until you're fully committed I realize that is, a, that is a lifelong journey. It's a process. And the best part about this is that, is that the way into it isn't like, okay, now, now muster up some surrender here. Yeah. Come on, come on, get your whole heart into it. It's like, no, no, no. Look at Jesus. Look at his love for you. Look at his sacrifice. Look at that. He, he gave all of himself to you. It's the sense that I, when I look at the gospel, it's like I hear Jesus saying, I gave my all for you. Will you give your all for me? It's an invitation. And it's through this, this wholehearted surrender, this wholehearted committed people that his name will be made great in the nations. His name will be made great in the city of Victoria through his people. See, because when we talk about wanting to see the culture of heaven come to earth, I would argue to you that the primary thing about the culture of heaven is it's a place saturated in worship. White, hot, passionate, wholehearted worship of the one true God. And when that is developed in our lives and in our hearts, we reflect the culture of heaven here on earth. Everything else flows from that. And through it, our city will get to see the goodness of God, the beauty of his ways, what it looks like when a community walks in his ways. I have this increasing conviction here at Lifetree that the better we learn to love one another in here, in the house, the more people are going to be added, the more people are going to come in, the more people are going to want what they see. But it comes from as we walk out in his ways, fully given. Next week, we're going to look at at, at the way that this plays out in our lives. It's more than songs. It's more than words. It's more than ritual sacrifices. It's a lifestyle. He gets into the nitty-gritty in the following verses. But what I want to invite you to this morning to give them all. I know this is a thing. We do it again and again and again. But can we just take a minute and can we, maybe we have to close our eyes, maybe we have to just posture our hearts in this way to actually consider the beauty and the goodness of the cross, the, the, the fullness of his sacrifice and all that he gave for us. And as we look upon him, 
in our hearts, in our minds, upon the cross, I want you to just ask him if there's anything that he's asking of you, that he's asking for from you. It's this, what, what does it actually look like, Jesus? Make it practical for me to give my all. It might, it might be having to cut something off. It might be having to actually figure out how to, how to give like Becky was talking about this morning. It might be just an attitude and a posture. I don't know what it is. We're going to let him speak. But we believe here at Life Tree that, that the Lord actually does want to speak to us. And so I'm just going to take 30 seconds, and we're just going to have a moment of silence to just look to Jesus on the cross and ask, what are you asking for? I don't know what you heard, what you sensed, but this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to actually write it down. So that means take out your phone, make a note. So that means jot it on a piece of paper. If it's not clear to you that quickly, you can do this as many times as you like. But I want you to actually take that step of, of, of jotting down, making record of what you sensed he said to you. So you can actually look at it again and, and seek to align like Stacy was speaking to us last week, like the scripture spoke to us today. And as we close, I just want to ask you to stand and we're going we're gonna to pray together. Pray blessing over you and I'll let you guys go. Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we thank you that even when it's a hard word, even when it's an indictment and a confrontation and a challenge, that we can trust that it's for our good. Lord, we ask for your grace to rest upon us, to align to your word, to align to your kingdom and your ways and your lordship in our lives. Father, by your grace, make us a people who are wholeheartedly, fully surrendered to you. We say you can have it all, Jesus. Make that real in our lives. That your name would be made great in the city of Victoria and beyond through a people who are fully surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.